0: jarring cacophony tells you that it's the 19th of November! And we are back once again on the Power of Three podcast looking at Doctor Who books. As we build up to the 60th anniversary, once again we're looking at a David Tennant adventure since he is our current Doctor after all, but we're going to go back and be a bit wibbly wobbly timey-wimey and feature him when he was playing technically the 12th Doctor, even though he's the 10th Doctor. I'm Kenny Smith and sitting here confused and perplexed with me it's my co-conspirator
1: yes david Steele here hello welcome back thank you for joining us thank you for sticking with us um we're you know a little over halfway through the month i'm hoping that kenny's gonna let me out of this room shortly <laughs> he brought, brought me some water and some dried bread crusts this morning for sustenance so it's not all bad the
0: 12th doctor technically is the 12th doctor
1: Right. Well, think about on. it. Well, Sir John well, technically, well, he's, Sir John bumped him up to eleven. Yeah. So who else? But then he regenerated into himself. Ah, no. But that was the that version was the guy that went off with Rose.
0: But he re- still regenerated. He was yeah, the, he regenerated, yeah. and the excess regeneration energy went into the hand. Yeah. But the hand, the
1: the person that was born out of the hand is the one that went off with Rose, and so he was technically the the twelfth. But he's human. No, but he's not. He's still the no, doctor. No, he's a no, doctor, but he's a metacrisis doctor. He's not. He's not. No. He's not enough. Patient. Right. <laughs> Today. <laughs>
0: We're talking about Prison of the Daleks by um, by
1: that Trevor Baxendale
0: We are indeed He's an author who's written many great Doctor Who books Including the wonderful fifth Doctor story Fear the Dark But today we are going to go with his adventure that was released during the special year of 2009 And Dave, before we continue, why don't you tell us what the back cover blurb has to say about it? Prisoner of the Daleks The Daleks
1: are advancing, their empire constantly expanding. The battles rage on across countless solar systems, and the Doctor finds himself stranded on board a starship near the front line with a group of ruthless bounty hunters. Earth Command will pay these hunters for every Dalek they kill, every eye stalk they bring back as proof. With the Doctor's help, the bounty hunters achieve the ultimate prize, a Dalek prisoner, intact, powerless and ready for interrogation. But with the Daleks, nothing is what it seems and no one is safe. Before long, the tables will be turned. And how will the Doctor survive when he becomes a prisoner of the Daleks? An adventure featuring 10th Doctor as played by David Tennant. I'm reading the blurb from the back cover of the monster collection, Reprint, so we're not too sure if that's I think that the thing. The previous reprints from, the from new series
0: books have always been the same, so I think we yeah. can assume it'll be exactly the same. Hope so, yeah. So, there we go, that's it, Dave. I think it's fair to say that this book was always really highly regarded at the time. So, I re listened to the audiobook, you re read it. What's your thoughts? Does it stand up? Is it worth the hype? It's
1: fantastic. It's, um, I as I find myself saying a lot of the time, I rattle through it. The way I would sum it up, it's, it's kind of like, this is Doctor Who, directed by James Cameron. Oh, very good, that's very good. That's how I put it. Trevor is, has just, I mean, you know, I say just, I mean, it was published 14 years ago. Trevor has just nailed this, absolutely. It's relentless, it's widescreen, it's fast, it's furious, it's funny. There's real moments of tension, real moments of pathos. Amazingly well, you know, we you know, I've talked about this before we started recording. Amazingly well drawn supporting cast of characters, you know, including the Daleks who pop up. It's kind of flawless to be honest. It was amazing, it was very, very easy to imagine this as being another broadcast special going out on TV during 2009 between Planet of the Dead, Between Waters and Mars. It's Doctor Who in the style of a Hollywood blockbuster, but with all the
0: heart and honesty that you would hope for from a proper Doctor Who story. Exactly that. I think that's a great summing up. I mean, I think the fact that you've got that crew, who feel it feels very like the the team that Ripley's a part of in Alien. You've got the likes of Cutting Edge, and it's just wonderful names. They're they're all very yeah, the captain, they're very strong, clearly realised characters. Captain John Bowman, who I kept reading as as John Barman,
1: <laughs> and and Scrum, and of course Corral, Coral, Coral, Coral's that I was pronounced in the, the audiobook. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. It's very easy to imagine this is a, a Doctor Who episode, maybe done in the, the Guardians of the Galaxy sort of style with you know amazing space vistas and yep. big sets and lots of you know explosions and, and all sorts of stuff. It was, it was, it was joyous,
0: particularly given that there's an early shock. Because here's the we mm. think this is going to be the companion for of the book, or the companion of the week. And then, of course, all of a sudden, one Dalek extermination blast sorts it, and she is no more. Yeah, and Stella
1: has gone. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I wasn't I was expecting that. Because I'll be honest, listeners, I didn't pick this up when it was first out. I picked it up as part of the Monster Collection reprint. And that comes out of left field, because, as you say, you expect her to be the Lady Christina of the... Um, of the story, and then you know this Dalek that they've trapped, and you know they master traps trap so it's making it spin at the ship or whatever it was. I can't remember the specifics. Shoots are, and there's, there's a lot of detail in it. As you'd expect from *Trevor*, is there's a, there's it's not gory as such, but there's some it's quite visceral in places because like, there's a description uh, of how um, a Dalek's weapon will be programmed to take just a little bit too long. To yes. shoot someone, it so sort of burns out the nerve system, um, and so she. St- it's you know it's implied that Stella dies obviously in a great deal of pain, and then of course little Scrum gets killed later on as well, which was horrible, yeah. and um, and you know and then, you know for going full spoiler, I mean the books were out for a long time, you know, cutting edge has an epic death scene where he yes. sacrifices himself and and all, and it's just it was. You know, I was genuinely
0: gutted as each of them went. I was just like, oh no! Yeah, you know? and the so, thing that they're, yeah. they're all reacting to Stella's death as well. It's not something that happens and it's skim, skimmed over for the rest of the story. It's very much at the heart of it. And the doctor takes a long time to earn their trust oh, to the, yeah. the crew Absolutely. because they're like, who is this guy? And sort of like, you didn't know Stella at all. Mm-hmm. And there's that very sort of human reaction mm-hmm. there, which is which is really well done. Yeah.
1: It's not like she's killed in, you know, episode one and then forgotten about. You know, they talk about it all the way through. And, you know, and it's interesting the way that the Doctor's relationship with everyone sort of evolves. Scrum is a bit of an immediate sort of like to him because, you know, he's a, a similar sort of minded tech guy, but others are also a lot more sceptical and Coral sort of follows him around and stuff to keep an eye on him. And, um, yeah, it's, again, it's... Yeah, you know, at, at the risk of repeating myself again already the characters are also, are also well done that you can completely understand why they don't really take to the Doctor and you know Trevor does a good job of playing up that slightly irritating aspect that the Tenth Doctor had during the hubris the fact that he's so confident and he lacks the filter to realise that he might be pissing people off, yep, robbing them up the wrong way. So he captures them perfectly.
0: Yeah, I also like the fact that the Doctor is separated from the TARDIS, and he has to get, or to work out a way to get back to it. Yeah, there's that lovely throwback to Journey's End when the Doctor has, when he tells the Daleks he needs a crew of six to pilot the TARDIS.
1: Yeah, and and he does that to try and protect you know the the woman and her daughter that Cutting Edge has been chained to down in the, the, the mines you know, he's trying to save them in the process because that's another part that kind of tugs at the heartstrings a little bit, Is because you really fear f- for this woman and her daughter because you, know, you see other prisoners being killed the Daleks, actually that leads us actually to talk about the Daleks the Daleks are amazing in this yeah, especially Dalek X yeah, but I mean as a whole, they're, they're, they're just shown as being you know their absolute worst um, just really vicious no mercy to them at all you know they you know, dispatch people whenever but Dalek X is fascinating because even just um, the way that he talks just feels kind of different less robotic and one thing actually that I thought was really cool was the the way that the Dalek speech is printed all the way through the book yes it's done in that sort of style the way the lettering would have been done the old TV 21 yes project. that was a
0: great touch so that
1: was really cool I remember um, that. so yeah it's, it's a cracker it's you know we could talk about it all day about
0: yeah. how good it is but it is it's, it's excellent. Yeah, is that Dalek excellent? No. Um, the other thing I particularly like is the image of this like the planet that's been sliced in half and they get the core and you think what a brilliant image that is. Well, yeah, I mean that's what was saying about Hollywood
1: visuals. You know, it's like you can imagine. Yeah, it's so easy to imagine just beautifully rendered either matte paintings or CG vistas and stuff. Is it, is it Archeon or Archeon? How Archeon, they, that's it. Archeon, the one. is that how they pronounce it in the audiobook? For some reason, my YouTube algorithm has become preoccupied with The Walking Dead in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> so, my, and I do have a point to this. Um, so, there's been lots of scenes of, um, you know, clips on The Walking Dead pop up on my YouTube recommends. And one scene was, um, had them sort of like, one of the scenes quite along and I sort of gone down the motorway and there's lots of abandoned vehicles, which popped up in my head very you know, a day or two later when I was re-reading this. And this popped up in my head because when they've reached Archeon and they're sort of making their way through the ruins of the civilization, and basically, you know, they probably wouldn't have done it with if they had filmed it with, you know, with regular earth motor vehicles. But, you know, the scenes where they're sort of picking their way along the motorway and they realise that these people are trying to get away from the, you know, the explosions and all that sort of stuff. And they're being chased by the sort of spooky, ghostly remnants. That kind of put me in mind because that whole it wasn't just the, pla- the planet just blew up as you say it was sort of split but the, the implications that basically maybe some people survive for a little bit longer yeah. or they've mutated and you know tons of ideas in this all that stuff was really really effective but you can there's a bit where they sort of come to is it's basically the biggest cliff edge in the universe and you know they've reached literally the edge of the world yeah. and you can just it was so easy to visualize it and a camera pulling out yeah exactly or something yeah. and just pulling back all the way and seeing it and then cutting to close-ups and stuff and then behind as they look out and then looking down and then looking yeah. up you know Trevor did a brilliant job sort of um
2: to let us visualize that it was phenomenal
0: absolutely why don't we hear a quick excerpt from the audiobook read by Nicholas Briggs
2: The doctor was marched into a security room to be scanned again. Though he was naturally optimistic, even he had to admit that things weren't looking too good right now. He was uncomfortably reminded of an electric chair as he was forced to sit down in the machine. The equipment hummed and circular screens around the scanning area filled with information as the doctor was examined on a molecular level. Daleks roved around the room, checking instruments and displays. The atmosphere was electric in more ways than one. The doctor could tell that his arrival had really set the cat among the pigeons. The command Dalek glided forward. You will be taken to a maximum security holding chamber to await full interrogation. Really, I don't want to put you to any trouble, said the doctor. Notification of your capture has reached Skoro. Ah, well, they say bad news travels fast. The Supreme Dalek has authorised the Primary Intelligence Unit to extract all necessary intelligence via mind probe extraction. The procedure will ultimately prove fatal. The interrogation will be led by the Dalek Inquisitor General. The doctor raised his eyebrows in surprise. ''You mean the Supreme Dalek has sent someone to question me? That's an insult. It's outrageous. The least he could do was come himself. Better fish to fry, has he?'' The Command Dalek's eye loomed large as it drew closer, the lights on its head flashing with calculated menace. ''The Supreme Dalek is fully engaged, directing the war against Earth?'' But by the time the Inquisitor General has completed your interrogation, you will wish the Supreme Dalek had come here.
0: And thanks to Nick for that. It was delightful that he recorded it just for us, not the audiobook <laughs> honest. And of course, this book got its own little bit of fame on television when it appeared as a question of the chase.
1: That's right, I saw your I have to I saw your post on X about it. The other week, of
0: course Tell tell the listeners Well, why don't we let them hear it first (laughs) And the over to Bradley Walsh Delighted to have him in the podcast for the first time
3: The Trevor Baxendale novel Prisoner of the Daleks Is based on what TV show? Star Wars Doctor Who
0: So thanks to Bradley Walsh there And to the contestant for getting (laughs) it wrong I mean, let's be honest Star Wars, really? Daleks? Daleks is a bit of a giveaway Just shows how much Mark Russell's got to do to raise the profile again, doesn't
1: it? (laughs) Satire listeners, satire. It is. No, that's pretty cool. Imagine being a question and
0: chase. Yeah. Let's go from being a question and chase to being a guest on The Power of Three.
3: That'll do. I am Trevor Baxendale and I wrote Prisoner of the Daleks. Do you remember how
0: the commission for this came about and of course it must have been exciting when Justin mentioned
3: the D word Oh very much so yes yeah I got an email and I think I think it was the subject heading was just Daleks exclamation mark and um it was just like one line how do you fancy writing a Dalek book for Doctor Who so you know that didn't take long to think about The brief was for the they were doing a, a series on uh, with the 10th Doctor using classic monsters, partly to fill in the the gap year. I think it was uh, on the understanding that there were to be no, no companions and no links to the ongoing series. So the condition for that meant that in writing a Dalek story for David Tennant, I couldn't have it anything to do with the time war. Uh, it would have to be set before the time war. So that's uh, so why I had to write into the little lines at the beginning about how jumping a time track and stuff like that, just to sort of like circumvent any continuity problems that might arrive. But you know, that's, it's Doctor Who, that's straightforward enough, that that's par for the course, isn't it? It definitely is. It definitely
0: is. So I suppose the first thing that must go through your head is thinking, what am, am I going to do that's
3: not been done before? A little bit. Yeah. I didn't think of it I do not think I thought of it in quite those terms it was more what do I want to do what 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 dalek story do I want to write what what attracts me and I think my sort of my biggest and best memory of the daleks was planet of the daleks with uh, john Pertwee, and particularly the scenes where he's he, he, the doctor's captured and he's in the prison cell and it's it's riffing on a lot of Terry Nation um, sort of situations that he's been in before. But to me, when I, was, when I was old, 7 years old or whatever, that just seemed to be a phenomenally precarious position for the Doctor to be in. And I thought, what if I could write a story that was entirely about him being captured by the Daleks and completely at their mercy? And in doing that, I wanted to make sure that the Daleks were as as awful and as as horrible and as menacing and dangerous as I could possibly make them. So yeah, there's a lot of fun to be had. I mean, that, that's not to say that I wasn't quite daunted by the prospect, Kenny, because I realised that this is quite a sort of special commission. It was the first first Dalek book for BBC Books in that respect, and it was it was it was a sort of the prize monster. So I was sort of quite quite honoured to be given that responsibility but it also I think it did sort of stimulate me a bit into raising my game as high as I possibly could because I knew that there would be a lot of attention on it.
0: I think that, I mean just from the word go, you've absolutely nailed the in Doctor like using a spoon for Morse code, just I think that is just so him, how did, how did you find
3: capturing him? Well I'd already written wishing well for the 10th doctor and um yeah he, i mean he i say he's just a such a, a lovely character an easy character to write for in a way a lot of the doctors are and that's because of the the personas that have been created by the actors who play them you know if you have that sort of rich characterization coming through on the screen and you're very very immersed in the program as we are then it's quite easy for me to hear their voices and hear exactly how they'll sort of respond and say things and approach things and it's more or less a case of letting them just come through as you're writing. I think that's very much, you absolutely nailed him. I think it's just that
0: you can hear David Tennant saying things, the pace at which he does, he says so much in such
3: a short space of time, just getting that all in there, that thought process. Yeah, he's got all those little quirks and and also interestingly like uh, unlike any real previous doctors apart obviously from Eccleston is that you've got it's got a, a very much more sort of modern vernacular and way of speaking there's lots of contractions he says yeah and, and gunner and, and and stuff like that instead of instead of the full RP pronunciation it, that, that, that's that's quite an interesting little sort of way to get into how he talks and how he speaks is it's very naturalistic
0: definitely feels
3: that way definitely feels that way so
0: I was wondering just that wonderful image that we get in the cover where did that idea come from was that something you were thinking that would work as a cover image or was it just one of those things that was a a, a lucky coincidence that it worked out so well the frozen Dalek
3: that's the one well again that's that's right back to um that's right. Back to plans of the Daleks, where those two Daleks get pushed into the the, the, the ice pool, the ice canoe thing, and they are inhibited by that by the sudden cold. So the idea came for me from that, and also I remember vividly watching that as as a child and thinking they appear to be dormant, but I don't trust them at all. It's like I didn't want the doctor or anybody to go anywhere near them, let alone start opening up the cases. So. I always wanted to do that frozen Dalek thing. And and is it still dangerous, you know, even though it's been, it's been incapacitated in that way. But for the cover image, no, I didn't know what to expect. I I had no say in that whatsoever. I I got, I got a scan of it over and I just it's just, just lovely, just perfect. I think they, they altered some of the, they had some of the Daleks that were flying um, around behind the doctor's head uh, shooting extermination rays out but then they decided it was probably better without that you know just less is more type of thing but the main image of the frozen dalek was an absolute it was it was just perfect yeah it was a a strong image of the book as well
0: yeah and how did you find creating all the supporting characters and getting your own proto companion or pseudo companion Ah,
3: yeah well that that was one of the, the stipulations of the brief is that no ongoing companion so the doctor was traveling on his own uh, which was fine and I automatically knew then that you'd have to generate a pseudo temporary companion character in order for those conversations and those sort of situations to take place but then I immediately thought but what if we set up this character who's clearly companion material who has everything the doctor loved they were they were courageous, they were brave, they were funny, they were compassionate, and they responded to the doctor as well, thinking this guy is clearly the best thing, best person I've ever met. That typical sort of doctor companion meeting scenario, and then take that character right out of the equation, kick them early doors, because that hopefully will shock the reader and make them sit up because they're sitting back, they're settling back to what, to, to, to read a book, which is all going to be the doctor and this companion character Stella going all the way through the book. But I thought, no, it's a perfect opportunity to, to whip out the, the the rug from underneath the feet of the reader. And also what I liked about the supporting, supporting characters she was with the crew, the, the mercenary crew that she was with, they were mostly all awful people. And the sort of the sort of people the doctor was avoid at all costs. They were mercenaries. They were soldiers. They were aggressive. They were violent, particularly the captain Bowman, and the doctor was just the sort of person that that they hated as well. So, I had Stella as the sort of she was the link. She was the one person in that crew that the doctor felt comfortable with. And then I took her. I I took her out of the. Out of the narrative altogether, so the doctor was just left with all the worst people he could be left with, none of whom were sympathetic to him at all. I think that's a real. And so that was a challenge for the doctor then.
0: Yeah, definitely, it's a real change from you know being surrounded usually by friendly people, and of course, obviously, we'd later meet Adelaide Brooke. So there was a sort of um, element in there thinking along there's that line of conflict which I enjoyed. Now, where did the idea for the Archeon threshold come from? And for those who haven't read it, that's the schism in time and space that the Daleks are wanting to use to access the time vortex.
3: Well, I suppose it's a sort of MacGuffin in a way in that I have to have a reason why the Daleks were interested in this particular, this particular planet and what their plans were. I had to have big stakes for the Doctor to fight against and also it allowed me to to sort of when i reached arkin to come up with a really unusual and special location i mean hardly scientifically accurate but i think visually in terms of the, the way that this series was on tv at the moment i thought it was a really good idea to have this to being halved so it's almost a hemisphere with the the with the molten call bare to space on one side and only a very thin atmosphere left. Yeah, it's uh, it's just one of those books where it just seemed to almost write itself. Yeah, well, we'll come
0: to Dalek X in a minute. But uh, how did you find writing for them, given that a lot of people have said they can be quite awkward to do due to their limited dialogue abilities?
3: Yes, that's true. That's true. Fortunately, we'd already had the episode, a few episodes on TV, where under Russell T. Davis, the Daleks were just given a little bit more characterisation. I'm thinking of of Dalek Rob Sherman's Dalek in particular, in uh, Christopher Eccleston's first season, uh, his only season, and. You know, so it allowed, when the Dalek defences are down, it allowed, I think P. Davis enabled the Doctor to actually get in the position where he could have a conversation with the Dalek. And the the Daleks aren't just sort of like one-track mind, exterminate, exterminate. You know, they are capable of having a conversation, even if they don't want to. I was very keen to get into that situation with the Doctor where he had the, the disemboweled Dalek the actual Dalek creature itself and him just alone in a room so that they could actually have a conversation so the Dalek never stops being a Dalek but they're actually able to sit down together and, and have a conversation yeah now let's talk about Dalek X or it does have a, a more official designation of
0: course but uh, you must have really enjoyed creating that Dalek Inquisitor General.
3: Yeah, I was aware that I was trying. I was consciously trying to make the Daleks a, a more menacing and, and more deadly foe for the Doctor, because what you, what you lack in a book is the visual impact and the, the, and the sound of them, which can do a lot of a lot of the work on TV but in a book you haven't got any of that so i have to make them particularly um a strong presence in that respect whenever they were i was about to say on screen but whenever they're they're featuring in the book yeah i wanted to make them a strong presence but then i also wanted a sort of a a master dalek a supreme dalek but who wasn't the dalek supreme who the doctor again could have an actual conversation with further along in the book and I'd always been struck by that sort of going back to star Wars, that scene where, uh, Darth Vader arrives in return of the Jedi on the death star to find out why they're behind schedule for completing the second death star. And, you know, he's arriving to kick ass basically. And you can tell he puts the fear of God into all the other Imperial officers and stormtroopers so I wanted a Dalek that represented that to other Daleks this was the Dalek that the that the remaining ordinary Daleks were scared of yeah I think that's uh,
0: the big point is that there should be one that they should be afraid of and I think that he just he really does come across as having a, a distinct character obviously Big Finish have created their time controllers and things like that and time strategists but again this Alex very much got his his own sensory sense of presence and of course when the, the reprint came around later we got the the bright red version of him is that how you pictured him?
3: Well no I I, I never pictured that as, as as Dalek X on the front cover to be honest I think that's just a design choice because of the sort of uh the the single colour type things that they were going for on on that those reprints you mean this one that's the one yeah or as it's called in Germany Gefangener der Daleks (laughs) yeah that yeah that yeah that's that is superb that is really good it's uh yeah, I like that cover because it's really striking, but mm. it's not how I envisage Dalek X. I think in the book I do describe him as as having a like a black and gold sort of livery. and I did base him on the black and gold Daleks that came out in the original Dalek battle packs, yeah, which yeah. Uh, my son and daughter had had one of those that the, the sort of remote control ones yeah from character options. Yep. Yes, because that one had never appeared. That particular livery had never appeared in the series at that point, so I I chose him for Dalek X. Yeah, he's superb. He's superb. So, how was the writing process
0: for you? Was it a relatively straightforward one? I'd imagine that, given the prestige of what you were working with, that that very popular Doctor and hugely popular monster.
3: Yeah, it, the the writing the process itself, as I said, was 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 fairly easy. He's an easy doctor to write for. I was very fired up to the book. I knew exactly what I wanted out of it and where I wanted to go with it. So yeah, I had tremendous fun writing it. Definitely comes
0: across, definitely comes across. And of course, as you mentioned, you got a reprint. So that must've been quite pleasing for you all these years later.
3: Very, yeah, immensely pleasing. Yeah, I was, I was very happy with that, fortunately i mean that was part of the monster collection wasn't it so it was a sort of in some ways it was a a no-brainer for for the dalek book because there weren't that many of them
0: <laughs> i suppose it's always quite nice though imagine of you know, getting being part of a collection in fact as it was that highly regarded as well
3: very much so yeah and the same with uh, fear of the dark for when they did the the the, the doctors
0: yeah i suppose that's the thing because when this came out such tremendous reviews and when i've been speaking with the other writers in these books they've all been saying that you know they've been sort of like imagining if this was a tv season all these books coming out yours would have been the (laughs) two-parter
3: oh well yes that's nice to think that's nice to think
0: i think it's uh there i mean it's a really strong run of books i mean where do you i mean the reviews for this one were as i recall uh, were just tremendous they were I mean, Fear of the Dark had great reviews,
3: and this was, as I recall, on a similar level of appreciation from fans. This one always always seems to get really good feedback, and that is tremendously rewarding and encouraging. Yeah, it's it's really nice. Even now, I, I hear you know from people who have just read it or whatever, or people I've never spoken to before, and they say, "Oh, um, you know, love that book. Really good one." and and people remember things from it as well which is which is uh, yeah just that's just wonderful that's really really uh, uh fantastic for a writer when they've left um a passage or an incident which stays with the people uh, who read it afterwards you can't ask for anything more than that yeah and you got of course an audiobook version as well yeah yeah that was uh, Nick Briggs did that uh, absolutely phenomenal job on that and I think that was the first audiobook adaptation that they did the full it was unabridged not a bad honour to so have. again. yeah so, so I was quite honoured with that as well yes
0: and uh, just hearing your voices the, the, the Daleks words coming out must have
3: been a real buzz as well oh absolutely yeah yeah, and, and, and Nick does a really good David Tennant as well yeah they're, you can tell they're pals
0: and of course something that as we record in the past week something you shared on twitter which was very very amusing when uh, you got a mention on television by a proper doctor who companion as well
3: well yes that was a completely absolutely no idea about that until i had a couple of people contact me via twitter and say you've just been a question on the chase <laughs> and I thought it was about what and then I got some screenshots coming through so I, I went back and, and watched it on catch up and uh and saw the bit yeah absolutely ridiculous yes yeah. <laughs> what, what on earth where on earth that came from
0: I've no idea you can tell sometimes there's a fan working in, on these questions so
3: it's I think so yeah and the fact that she got it wrong. Ooh. Yes, yeah, yeah. All that—that that was the icing on the cake.
0: <laughs> it was brilliant. So, all in all, Trev, you're looking back in all your books. Where does Prisoner of Dalek stand up for you?
3: I'd say uh, at, at the top. Yeah, it's probably the book I, I'm I'm most proud of. Not just because of the way it turned out, which I was really pleased with, but it came at a point in my in my writing where uh, I felt it was an extreme honour, and also it was a big vote of confidence in my abilities. Yeah, so I was I was I was really touched, and uh, I wanted to give it the best possible shot I could.
0: Definitely did, and of course you must have got a few kudos from the family as well. Getting Daleks.
3: Oh, hi, yeah, yeah. Well, that immediately sort of, <laughs> yeah, it. it, it, it increases its reach because the daleks is a big seller yeah yeah it it is no doubt about it no points with your son as well (laughs) yes yeah (laughs) well i mean you think that but i've obviously been writing doctor who books before and and people who are sort of outside fandom they either assume that you can choose to write about whatever you want and I've just decided to do a Dalek book or else it's not that rare an opportunity. So, you know, there must be loads of Doctor Who Dalek books. So, yeah, it's it's, it's more within Doctor Who fan community to understand the kudos of it.
0: Well, I appreciate it and I love it. So thank you so much for your time again, Trev. Thank you. Thank you very much again to Trev for taking the time to have a chat with us, listeners. Were you one of that generation of
1: fans in the eighties that had Trevor's cover painting for that issue? Of the frame, blue tacked to your bedroom. Was wall? It
0: issue nine? Some like tend, something yeah.
1: like that. And going through to, to find a piece and, of art from every story. Rips yeah, into an, it. an item from every story. And I remember, I remember him sort of saying I, that he wasn't sure what the Rick stone from Reboss operations should look like. Something like that. Sticks in the head from over thirty odd years ago, listeners. What did I do yesterday? I have to think about it. I was at St Luke's for passenger, but it took me a moment. <laughs> Um, yeah Trevor, thank you so much I, I was gutted to, to not be around to take part in that interview because it would have been nice to have a blether with you yeah. but cheers man, it's much appreciated and thanks for the book because it's cracking
0: Yeah, why do we hear what DWM had to say at the time? Oh, brilliant. This is from yes. DWM408, it's a review by Matt Michael who tells us that the torture of the single disabled Dalek strongly recalls the fate of Van Staten's Metaltron in 2005's Dalek, while granting distinct characters to specific Daleks, including the awesomely intelligent Dalek X, in a nod to the cult of Scarrow, We get to see the Osterhagen Principle in Practice of too. Of course,
1: yeah, they talk about that at the start, and yeah. that's actually also reminding me very quickly of another thing that we need to mention, but we can do that after you finish the review.
0: The outrageousness of some of the ideas, a half-gone planet populated by ghosts and zombies, also rival the ambition of the most recent Dalek episodes. In some ways, Baxendale has the easiest job of the three recent novelists. The Daleks are so inherently satisfying that just getting them right is enough to carry a book that doesn't really do anything we haven't seen before. But there are far worse things to be than a fan-pleasing action-adventure done well, and this book is as compelling and fan-pleasing as they come. That's a bit cynical, Matt. But, you know, I mean, I, I take your point. Let's have a quick chat about
1: the book cover. Isn't that glorious, that frozen Dalek, all covered in ice? See, I've got the reprint, which just has one Dalek sort of tindy slightly red. Yeah. I, I didn't buy it in 2009, Trevor. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's obviously what happened on the ship. Ah, bit. very good. Pretty cool. Very good. Thing, oh, I didn't think of that. The thing that I remembered, actually, when you were, when you were reading the review was... Um Trev's a big fan of Blake Seven, so he yeah. had it that cutting
0: edge came from Gouda Prime. Yes, yes, <laughs> and there's another reference in there, and I can't remember what it is now. Um, I mean, not have spoiled that, time. but the Gouda Prime one was like, hang on a minute. Yeah, so I he, know that. I mean. he mentioned
1: it a couple of times, which is pretty cool. It's like, yeah. I, see what you, I see what you did there. I might not have seen what he did there if I'd read the book when it first came out, because obviously I only watched Blake Seven all the way through for the first time last year. Wow.
0: <laughs> My goodness. I know. So Disgraceful. But yeah, all in all, Great book. Oh, it's
1: excellent. It's still available, listeners. If you haven't read it, and if you haven't it too much, it's it's brilliant. It's um, it's full on. I mean, it's excellent. It's exciting. It's fast. It's scary. I would dispute slightly what Matt said to him about you know stuff that we hadn't seen before because there was a lot of stuff we hadn't seen before. If it's evocative of other things Doctor Who's done in the past, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's proper, good, solid Doctor Who, and I loved it. Quite frankly
0: yeah you're not the only one really really enjoyed it so yeah i would say thumbs up from me thumbs up from you go and buy it if you haven't got it yep you'd probably track one down fairly yeah. easily so there we go another book done chuck mm. sure, why don't we move on and do another one tomorrow that's an excellent idea. I might get some sleep beforehand. Yeah, well, I'll leave you here in this dungeon shortly. But yes. before we go, I'll can, leave can you some... Can I have the light on for a little while longer tonight? You can have it for five minutes. Oh, God. Okay. okay. Um, but I think I think you deserve some music before we go. So oh, okay, if I must. I know that um, you've a, a musical suggestion for this one, and I know that I've got one. So why don't we compromise, and we'll have a bit of both again? Yeah, I thought about suggesting the tune to the...
1: To the Patrick McGoon series, *The Prisoner* for a laugh—that'd be quite funny. But no, i would like to because *Prisoner*, yeah. And let's let's remember like Friday nights on ITV in the late eighties, and let's have the theme tune to *Prisoner Cell blockage, please.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well. We don't want to give you that yet. (laughs) I think we're going to go with a bit of Atomizer and they are a fantastic dance track hooked on radiation because we kill, because we can, because we're hooked on radiation. Anyway, that's enough from me. I'm sure we might hear a little bit of Prisoner before we go. But uh, yes, we'll be back tomorrow. So Dave, get back to the dungeon and get back to work reading. Goodbye,
1: everyone. Take care. Make sure and check out the Earth 2 podcast this month as well because we're doing some brilliant stuff on it. See you later.
0: Bye!
2: I wish he could again But that was on the outside And things were different then On the inside the sun still shines And the rain falls down But the sun dream